you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, friends. Good to see you. Uh, it's been rich already, hasn't it? Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jarrett. I, pre- I pray that you are experiencing God. Welcome to Life in the Sun. And looking forward to what God wants to do. I got a call this week from a couple people in our church. One was a text message. People wondering if the governor's updated announcement about the quarantine affects our church service. And the guidelines for places of worship are the same as other essential establishments, which is 50% of our capacity. And yes, we still practice hand washing, practice physical distancing, wearing face masks. But as we know, none of these are a cure for COVID-19. These precautions only reveal our need for purity. They reveal our need for pure water. They reveal our need for clean food. They reveal our need for clean hands and clean air. They reveal our need for purity, but none of them guarantee it. In the same way, the moral laws of God explain things that we should or shouldn't do. It's kind of like spiritual hand-washing, keeping a distance from certain activities. These are prescribed, but none of them are a cure for the spiritual disease called sin that results in death. God's moral law only reveals our need for purity. It reveals our need for moral purity, but it doesn't cure the disease any more than hand-washing will cure COVID-19. In this series, We are learning how God has provided the purity we need for our lives to be healthy, productive, enjoyable, and satisfying. Nobody likes to be sick. Nobody likes to be spiritually sick. And thank God there is a spiritual vaccine. The Apostle Paul explains how it works. We are in this series covering the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome is the most comprehensive explanation of the gospel. And hence, the title of this series is The Gospel Explained. I'd like to share with you an an overview of the entire book of Romans. We'll put that up on the screen here. In chapters one, chapter one, we have Paul's introduction. And then moving on through chapter three, We have Paul explaining about how the world is lost without Christ. And then in chapter 3 and through 4 and 5, he introduces God's plan, salvation of grace by faith in Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. And then in chapters 5 through 8, he begins to explain sanctification by faith through the Spirit. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he talks about the Jewish question. What about the nation of Israel? How does the nation of Israel fit into the overall plan of God's kingdom? We'll get there. And then in chapters 12 through 15, he has instruction for practical Christian living. And also in chapter 16, instruction for personal matters and salutations. Salutations is simply greetings. At the end, it's kind of like when you part with a friend and they say, hey, by the way, my regards to the family or say hello to the wife. You know, he's giving greetings to certain people at the end as he's bringing it to a close. I'd like to highlight where we are in this series now. We can go to the next slide. We are here. 
sanctification by faith through the Spirit. We are in Romans chapter 6. This is such an important part. Salvation is huge. It's the greatest good news the world will ever know, but it's only a starting point. It's only the starting line. It's not the finish line. The rest of our experience with God is a process called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. And that's something that will last a lifetime. And this is something that we really need to focus on because that's the majority of the Christian life. That's the majority of life in the kingdom of God. We don't want it to be like a hobby where you dabble a little here, dabble a little there, where I want to learn a little bit about electronics, maybe I want to learn a little bit of guitar, maybe I want to learn something about computer. I think it's better that we dive into it, we get into God's word and study. And so recently we had a class that's all about that. We can go to the next slide. These are students that just can finish finished course 202 with Elijah House. This is a course in inner healing. Inner healing is really about sanctification. It's about how do we cooperate with the Spirit of God and the Word of God to get free from the old habits and patterns. And these students are learning it not just for themselves. They're learning actually how to minister to other people to help them get free from old habits and patterns, not just behavior, but even thinking, even attitudes, even beliefs. That's where the transformation takes place, from the inside out. And so we are here in this section of sanctification. Our text is Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. I'll read through the passage together, then we'll go back and take a look at it. Verse 15, Paul says, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Verse 17, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. And then skipping down to verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word which is alive and active. And Father, we ask that by your spirit you would take the written word and make it the revealed word, that it would become the living word within us. And Lord, not just within us, but it would be multiplied through others, our children, our spouses, our parents, our friends, our family. Lord, would your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Armin shared the idea that when you receive the Holy Spirit, God places you in Christ. And so he used the illustration of the Bible and a bookmark. This bookmark represents you. The Bible represents Jesus. And he said, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you are placed in Christ. You are sealed in him by the Holy Spirit. So now, if I take this Bible and I put it in my car, where is the bookmark? It's in my car. If I take this Bible and I put it in my living room, where is the bookmark? 
It's in my living room. It's the same with being in Christ. If you are in Christ, and Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, then where are you? Seated at the right hand of the Father. The amazing revelation is that it's even more than just where you are. It's also about who you are. Since you are in Christ, and Christ is holy, then what are you? If you're hearing this for the first time, it may be hard to fathom that God has provided a way for you to be holy. And yet that is exactly what he has done. This is why salvation is something you cannot accomplish. This is why salvation is supernatural. This is why only God can transform us. You no longer need to fulfill the moral laws of God because Jesus already did it for you. And think about that for a moment. You no longer need to fulfill the moral laws of God because Jesus did it for you. Now, to the person who experiences God in spirit and in truth, and they feel the change that God has made, when you hear that news, we respond in worship and in thanksgiving, in gratitude. But to the person whose mind is set on the kingdom of self, they might say, well, well, if that's the case, then I guess I can do whatever I want to do, right? And the Apostle Paul confronts this issue head on. Verse 15, he says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And so Paul is asking us the same question. Since God's grace has set you and I free from having to fulfill God's moral law, does that mean that we can just go on doing whatever we've been doing? Now I want you to imagine that for a moment. Imagine actually being free from the law. And not just spiritually like in God's kingdom, but like here on earth, imagine being free from the law. Imagine there are no speed limit signs posted on the road. Does that mean that you can just go any speed you want? What if you're given diplomatic immunity? What if the government says they will not prosecute you for, for committing a crime? Does it mean that it's okay to be violent, to destroy property, to hurt people? If the governor of Washington and the mayor of Seattle says they will not prosecute you for setting buildings on fire, looting stores, and tagging federal buildings, does that mean that it's okay? No, of course not. Just because God has forgiven me, just because God is not going to punish me for my sins, does that mean it's okay to continue doing things that are hurtful to me and to others? I think you get the point. God is not looking for people to do the right thing because they're afraid to get punished. What kind of motivation is that? God is looking for people who will do the right thing because we care about each other. In verse 16, Paul reveals a spiritual reality. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become a slave. Whatever you present yourself to will control you. Paul is saying that whatever you present yourself to will control you. This is a spiritual reality that he's revealing. It's important that we get a hold of this. Let me give you some examples. If you present yourself to meth, 
meth will control you. If you present yourself to porn, then porn will control you. If you present yourself to alcohol, then alcohol will control you. You present yourself to cigarettes, then cigarettes will control you. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Well, what about the acceptable sins, if there were such a thing? What about the acceptable sins? Like, let's say, for example, working hard. Pastor Mark, what's wrong with working hard? What's, ro what's wrong with a little good old-fashioned hard work? Well, it all depends on the motivation. Am I working hard to be accepted, to be respected, to feel significant? Am I afraid that if I don't do what others expect, I'll be rejected, and so I become a people pleaser? To the employer, the achiever looks so good. But what's the motivation? Nothing wrong with hard work. We should. The real question is why? Am I presenting myself to the opinion of others or to the opinion of God? Paul is saying that whatever you present yourself to will control you. Here are some other seemingly innocent examples. Watching Netflix longer than you should. You ever get those series, man, they just suck you in? It's like, just one more, just one more. And then after that one's done, just one more. <laughs> Or how about giving lots of time to online gaming? How about money? Again, it depends on the motivation. Do I believe more money will make me happy? And so I give myself to getting as much as I can? Or do I believe that contentment is found in fellowship with God? And like Jarrett was talking about earlier in stewardship, that I'm using my resources to be able to serve God and to serve people. How am I managing my money? To summarize, Paul is explaining that we give control to whatever we give ourselves to. The application is not easy, but it is very simple. Present yourself to God every day, 24-7, moment by moment. Verse 16, Paul says, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can obey God, which leads to righteous living. Paul is saying, you have a choice. If you have any doubt about whether or not you really have a choice, if you're not sure this is really true, it'll help you to understand some things about sin. The first time God talks about sin is in Genesis chapter 3. God knows that Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he wants to kill him. And so the Lord speaks to Cain, and he says, Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. You know, think about that for a moment. This is the first time God is speaking about the nature of sin, and he's describing it. He's saying, you know, it's like crouching at the door. You ever, see, you ever see videos of people, they get caught on camera, and they're like going around like this, and you're like, man, you know that person's up to no good. What is he watching out for? On the other hand, if you're walking upright, and you're straight, and your countenance is lifted up, 
You know, your nonverbal language speaks for itself. Sin is crouching. It's sinister. The other description God gives is sin is crouching at the door, meaning it is near. It's just like right there, right there, crouching at the door. The other insight that God gives in Genesis chapter 3 is sin is not just a label. It's not a category of certain behaviors that are considered unacceptable. He's describing it as an active force, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. What Adam and Eve and Cain failed to do in the garden, Jesus accomplished. And now you are in Christ, and he shares his mastery over sin with you. It's like you being the bookmark in the Bible. Genesis helps us to understand the nature of sin and the battle we face. There are three aspects about sin that we should be aware of. Number one is the presence of sin, the power of sin, and the penalty of sin. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, how many of us know he dealt with the penalty of sin? He paid the price for us. The even greater news that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 6 is he also dealt a death blow to the power of sin. In other words, the influence of sin in our lives, it's no longer an absolute dictator. For those of you who came to Christ later in life, and you remember your BC days, remember how we used to party? There was no conflict. We were happy sinners. Then Christ came into our life and it's like my world got turned upside down. My values started shifting. My priorities, my perspective. I'm like, what's going on? There's this huge struggle going on inside. So that influence that sin has, that's why the struggle is because God has broken that influence, the power that it has over us, and now the influence of the Spirit is beginning to take over and to be able to change us from the inside out. Up until this point in history, Jesus has dealt with the penalty of sin and the power of sin, the influence. But the third one, the presence of sin, has not yet been dealt with and will not be dealt with until the final judgment. And so consider the Bible and the bookmark. You are in Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, and he walked on the earth for 40 days, was, was sin still present? Some are nodding yes. The answer is yes. Sin was still very much present. He took care of the power. He took care of the penalty. But it's still present. won't be gone until the final judgment. Here's another question. When Jesus died and rose again from the dead, sin was still present. But did that sin have any power over him? No. In the same way, Jesus raised you up to live a new life here on earth. And as you live this new life, is sin still present? Yes, very much so. If you're, if you're any, to any degree aware of what the struggle is going on around us, we know sin is alive and present. But as you live in Christ, does that sin have power over you? No. And that's the good news in the kingdom of God. You now have a choice. You now have a freedom that you can walk into. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, Thank God. 
Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. I think we understand what Paul is saying. The hard part is do we believe it? You know, a bunch of little kids were playing on the playground. They were outside. One of them said, my daddy says I can play out here. Another little kid says, my daddy says don't go out by the road. Another little kid says, my daddy says I'm smart. And so why am I saying this? You know, I want to remind us that in this typical scenario, children generally believe what their daddy says. None of them are questioning each other about what your daddy said. They're just all making these statements. Do we believe what our daddy says? Jesus calls us not to be childish, but to be childlike in terms of trust. Do we believe what our daddy says? The last verse of chapter 6 is verse 23, which will bring us to a close. For the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. And think about that for a moment. Consider all the sin throughout all the generations. Consider all the pride. Consider all the lust, all the stealing, all the lying, all the abortions, all the wars, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, the recent bombing in Lebanon. Quite literally, the result of sin is death. When I consider all of that, the grace of God just blows me away. But the rest of this verse, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what kind of God would give such a gift in light of all the sin? This God of love offers you a choice. He's already set up a new kingdom, and he invites us to live in it. It's as if there is a new administration. You know, in a presidential election, there's a shift in administration. There's a shift in authority. You no longer have to listen to the old president. The previous president may still have a voice through social media, through prior relationships, but he has no real authority. Sin and the influence of sin is like the previous administration. It still has a voice which can be heard, but it has no real authority. Unless, of course, you choose to give it authority, that you choose to present yourself to fill in the blank. This leads us back to the beginning of today's message. Here's the point. You have a choice. Just like God said to Cain, you have a choice. Sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. And so the good news is that because you are in Christ, you can master it. You can. You just have to believe what your daddy says. Let's pray. Father, your kingdom, your provision is more than we can ask or even imagine. No eye has seen 
no ear has heard what you have prepared for your people. Lord, we are just trying to grasp, to put into practice what you have revealed for here and now. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. And so God, I pray that you would renew our minds, that you would awaken our hearts, that you would break through any hardness. Lord, that you would reveal light, and that you would give us insight and understanding that's from the heart where your spirit resides within us, or the revelation about life, about eternal life, that we might know you, and we might know your son whom you sent, and we might experience you in ways that we have never known. Your word says, your word invites us, call to me and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. In church, I just, if you would stay in an attitude of prayer, I just want to challenge you to take God up on his word. There are wonderful things in his kingdom in store for you that you have yet to know, not even aware of yet. There is so much more that he wants for you. And so God, I, I pray that you would enable us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and to seek you first, seek you and your righteousness, and then all these things will be added to us. And so God, I just pray for everyone here as we are challenged to grasp how great a salvation, how great a kingdom you invite us to be a part of. Lord, as we are challenged, I pray that you would illumine our minds. I pray, God, that you would spark a desire. Lord, increase the thirst and the hunger to seek after you and to walk with you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. And if that sounds like something you would like to do, I just want to invite you to take a moment between you and God to come into a place of acceptance of what he has said, to come into a place of surrender, to present yourself to him, to let him be the boss, let him control, let him be Lord. If you would just take a moment in the privacy of your heart to do some business with God and say, Lord, yes, I want to walk with you. Go ahead and take a moment to do some business with God. Our Father, you know our thoughts, you know our circumstances, you know our challenges. You know the things we know, the things we don't know. And in the midst of the unknown, we're learning to trust you more and more. And so, Lord, with the faith that we have today, we say, yes, we present ourselves to you. For you to be Lord of our lives and for you to complete what you began. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week.